We have the privilege this morning of having not just our guest speaker, but several people from a ministry with which we are all very familiar. We have a long-term history and relationship with Voice of the Martyrs that goes back to the founder, Richard Wormbrand, who was actually close to Gordon and knew many of us here at TCF. Richard Wormbrand actually preached on this stage here at TCF more than once. And uh, every year we feature the Persecuted Church on Persecuted Church Sunday. Every week we feature the Persecuted Church with that bulletin board hanging over there in the corner. And so it's our real privilege to hear from somebody who's working with Voice of the Martyrs today. Before I introduce our speaker, I want to mention a couple things. First of all, they are generous in bringing the 2014 VOM prayer calendar. And there are 150 of these out there and they're on the literature table out here, and they are free for the asking. So let me encourage you to take one of these and take it home and use it as a way to remind you to pray pray for the persecuted church. And also, if you are willing to sign up for the Voice of the Martyrs newsletter, just by signing up for that, you can get a copy of the book Tortured for Christ, which is Richard Wormbrand's story and really the genesis of Voice of the Martyrs and the work that he began and now continues many years after his passing. So let me encourage you to take advantage of those resources. There are other resources for sale on the book table out here, and you can review those after the uh, service this morning. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, one of the things the elders have thought about is that God is, in fact, building his church in nations where it costs to be a Christian. And, you know, when we pray for the persecuted church, which we do quite often here at TCF, we often tend to pray for their safety, for their protection. But God is using persecution to build his church. And that's a hard thing for us to grasp here uh, in in, uh, safe old America where we don't have to worry, as Joel often prays, thank you, God, that we can be here in a church and not have to worry about the secret police busting our doors down. And uh, so we are safe. And we don't have to worry about that this morning. But there are places around the world where they do. But God is building his church. And this morning we have a brother, Cole Richards. He's vice president for international ministries at Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, we know that Voice of the Martyrs is an organization that serves and serves with Christians who are persecuted for their faith in many parts around the world. He leads a team of 44 missions leaders, including 23 nations, Uh, 23 nationalities and based in 22 countries, and they carry out VOM's international ministry work. He came on staff with VOM in 2006 after living and ministering in a restricted and least reached area in the Middle East. So we're delighted to have Cole with us this morning to kick off our missions conference. Let's give a TCF welcome to Cole Richards. Thank you, Dan. Well, thank you so much. It's not lost on us at all that this is a special church for VOM, uh, a church that was essentially Richard's home base whenever he visited Tulsa. And so it's wonderful to be with you. I'll tell you truly that for three years I had uh, Brother Jim's book, The Doulos Principle, sitting on my desk right next to my Bible. It took the Lord three years to emphasize the principle of his lordship in my life, and that was a special resource that has meant a, a lot to me. Uh, Joel Vassan, another, another of your elders, has meant a lot to the Voice of the Martyrs ministry, uh, providing with us, us with connections that have paid off, uh, Joel, for years now, for five or six years in the Middle East. So I'm so thankful to be here. I'm blessed. Uh, I've prayed a lot about what to share today. 
I'm not selling missions or selling the voice of the martyrs to you whatsoever. I consider you to be part of us already. And so this is like an update. Uh, And I think you'll be really excited to hear what the Lord's doing through the voice of the martyrs, through you in the Muslim world and in frontier missions. Now, really, the only thing that's special about me and why you should be excited to hear from me this morning is really nothing about me at all, but rather that I can bear firsthand witness to what the Lord's doing in the most difficult areas in missions today, and I can be a firsthand witness to what the Lord's doing through your brothers and sisters, the persecuted church, uh, whom we serve. So I've been able to travel to 40 of the nations that we work in, all of these hostile and restricted areas, and I've met with our brothers and sisters there. And so I'm really eager and excited to share with you this morning what the Lord's doing, and it's really going to encourage you. It's really special. Now, in prayer about what I would share this morning with you, I really felt like the Lord led me to emphasize the Muslim world, and especially the aspect of what do you see when you look at the Muslim world today? You could also think of what do you feel when you look at the Muslim world today? Do you see God's hand? Do you see what the Lord is doing? Or are we wrapped up in the temporal things, the things of this world, the things that really are passing away? Are our eyes on the eternal? Are we focused on what matters in eternity? What do you see when you look at the Muslim world? It's easy to see the violence. This is a photo of Syrian rebels from just a few months ago. It's easy to see the Muslim world and to see instability, violence, to think of Muslims themselves as being violent people. This is another photo from the Muslim world from just a couple months ago. This is in Pakistan. These two girls, it's a very special story. It's really an encouragement and a blessing. This is a praise report. Remember that as I share what might seem like a tragedy. It's really a praise report. But these two precious girls were led to Christ as a result of a literature outreach. You see them holding these books in their hands, which are really just comic book Bibles, the story of Jesus Christ. And on the back page is a simple salvation message. They were led to Christ through a children's outreach there in Pakistan. They began attending church in obedience to the Lord. And then they died shortly after that in an attack on their church, which killed many people, including them. Now, as I said, this isn't a tragic story. It's a praise report. These girls came to Christ, and they're in eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right now. Because the important thing about us is not how old we are when we die. The important thing about us is not how old we are when we die. So what do you see when you look at the Muslim world? It's really been on my heart a lot in the recent months that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The same thing can be seen so differently by different people. Violence, instability, these things are true in the Muslim world today. But there are other things that are true in the Muslim world today. The sovereign hand of God advancing his kingdom, that's another truth about the Muslim world today. There are so many different ways to look at the same thing. But missions can only be appreciated by people who have a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview, which is just to say that people believe the Bible is true and love Jesus. If you believe the Bible is true and you love Jesus, you'll see things differently. And you'll see things in a way that are absolutely foolish and actually undiscernible to the world. But to us, we understand that the eternal hope in Jesus Christ is what counts most. We understand that the plan of God is being worked out in the world today. It's His eternal plan. It's being worked out, 
as it always has, and we can have a part in it. We can have a part in it. And this, God's plan, is the great story of our time. It's the great story of every time. It's the story that transcends time. It's the eternal story. So today I'm going to share a little bit about the Voice of the Martyrs. Really, as I said, just an update about the work we've been doing and the work you, many of you have had a chance to play a part in with us as you've, as you've prayed, as you've donated, as some of you have even traveled or, or networked or partnered with us. Then I have a message that the Lord really laid on my heart for today about staying sharp, maintaining our focus on what matters most, this idea of seeing the eternal, especially seeing the eternal in the world today seeing what God's doing. And then I'm going to close with some practical considerations from Frontier Missions, some practical considerations we can learn from our brothers and sisters as they serve boldly on these missions frontiers and as we can join with them in what God's doing today. First, a little bit about VOM. I want to let you know that at VOM, we're simply trying to help you, the American Christians, the American church, live a godly life. And so I know at a wonderful church like this, you worship, you love by loving God, you partake as, of his word, you love his word, but we want to help you love his body, to love the church. We want to bring you into fellowship with your brothers and sisters in far-flung areas on Missions Frontiers, and we want to help you love the lost. So I hope no one's confused about the message of the persecuted church and thinking it's an us versus them mentality and thinking that it's a love the Christians but hate the lost, as if the Muslim world especially, but other persecutors are someone that we hate or fear. Nothing can be further from the truth because really to be healthy spiritually, you should have these four loves. And if you have these four loves, you'll do the right things. As I said, you'll worship if you love God. You'll have discipleship and grow with the Lord if you love his word. If you love his body, you'll enter into fellowship with your persecuted brothers and sisters. Of course, the biblical term fellowship means more than just a casual relationship or a surface relationship. It means joining up for a purpose, for God's great purpose for the world. But if we're healthy spiritual, spiritually, we'll also love the lost. And this is the of the message of the persecuted church, which is that the gospel of Jesus Christ overcomes the world on these missions frontiers. And we overcome by his message going forth, by lives being changed. The persecuted church, many of them, are converts. They were Muslims. They're not anymore. The Gospels transformed them. So what foolishness to hate or fear Muslims, that that's not it at all. So as I said, we love his body, we love the church, and we do that in fellowship with them to reach the lost, who we love as well. We love the lost. So at VOM, we're just trying to help you be healthy spiritually, and if you are, it will lead you to do these things, which is really just to say that you'll obey the word of God. Because he told us to reach the lost, didn't he? Now, at VOM, we like to emphasize the fact that he told us to reach the lost, period. He said all creatures, all nations. He didn't say only the nations that are accessible, the nations where it's legal to spread the gospel. He said, spread my word to all nations. And so we simply obey him. So at VOM... We take the body of Christ seriously. We know that there are brothers and sisters, our own precious family members. They're not an idea. They're not a cause. They're not a pet theology. They're not a tangent. They are our family, our precious brothers 
and sisters. We take the body of Christ seriously. And then secondly, we take the Great Commission seriously. Seriously enough to smuggle Bibles across borders. Serious enough to take whatever risk is necessary to accomplish the Great Commission. We would rather obey God than men. Okay, we carry out the work of standing with the persecuted church and helping them evangelize through a field staff, which is 44 members now. And in a moment, I'll introduce some of those who are here with me today. But this has really grown since Richard's time. So some of you who remember VOM in the past, uh, this is really an expanded capability now where we've sent many people and we've partnered with many nationalities. You see there are 23 nationalities are represented on our staff and then in partnership, uh, countless numbers in every nation that we work in. These are the nations that we're currently involved in. And this, is, this graphic is a prayer banner, which uh, we could easily send you here if you are interested, inter interested in this. We have a prayer campaign called I Commit to Pray for the Persecuted Church. And the idea is that you would look at a map like this, the hostile and restricted nations of the world, and really commit to pray for a nation, for a number of nations, but not just for the nations, for our precious family, as I've said. These are people. These are our brothers and sisters that we're talking about. The Voice of the Martyrs is active in all 64 of these nations. And we like to say it this way, that we may act in wisdom with regard to the where or to the when and how. The, the when, the timing we might reach these nations, or the how, the ways we might engage in these areas. But we haven't stopped acting anywhere. We haven't backed out of any of these uh, areas. It's interesting that in, in just recent years, the last 20 or 30 years especially, Many mission-sending organizations have adopted a risk analysis model, which involves backing out of areas when they become more difficult or more dangerous, uh, especially with regard to violence, but sometimes with regard to restriction. So it's an interesting discussion to have whether or not that's valid. But uh, in our case, we especially want to be the places where others aren't, um, these, which ends up being these least-reached, most hostile, most restricted areas to partner with the indigenous church. Now let me introduce some of those who are with me today. This slide shows our, the way we break up that world into regions. And this morning, since they were uh, available, I have a couple of our regional directors with me. Uh, one is Jonathan, if you'd wave to the, to the people. He's our South Asia, South Asia regional director. Uh, we also have our Mideast regional director, who's Adam with his family. Uh, this morning with us. You can see that uh, turf on the map here, the Arabian Peninsula, the Holy Land, Turkey, uh, through what's really parts of Central Asia there. Um, also with me this morning is uh, our global partnerships leader who bridges VOM to many other ministries and organizations. Uh, his name's Jason. You can meet him later. And I also noticed this morning that uh, Ray Thorne is with us, who was one of our staff members and now a partner with us in many fields in the Middle East and Africa. Uh, so, Ray, thank you for being here as well this morning. So please uh, feel free to talk to these folks after the presentation this morning. Last year, our work, we did over 1,200 projects in these fields. And a project's anything from a one-time small bit of help we can provide a persecuted family somewhere to a major Bible translation or Bible distribution project but that work was over $20 million in those 64 countries. Praise God. Uh, and really to characterize that, whoa, I, I went up in volume there. Uh, really to characterize that work, we divide that into three ways. 
uh, which we like to say, respond to persecution, advance the kingdom, and distribute God's word. I'd also like to talk about a fourth thing. These are three ways we characterize our project work overseas. There's also a fourth element which is very, very important, which is the aspect of encouragement. And so I'd like to mention that as well, which is our presence with the persecuted church in these fields is a continual encouragement to them that someone cared enough to come to fellowship with them directly, but also prayer is an encouragement to them. So when we meet with them in the field, we say, look, American believers, believers from many nations are praying for you. And sometimes they weep uh, when they are told that. So I like to say it this way in American churches, good churches like yours, make that true, please. Let's remember our brothers and sisters in prayer. It matters to them that you're here praying for them. They feel your love, and they feel this in a spiritual and tangible way as well. But let me uh, talk about these three kinds of work that we do. Um, and also the fact that in terms of uh, biblical pretty loud anyway, maybe. Okay, yeah, so anyway, uh, a biblical grounding for these aspects, which is, of course, always important, you know, thinking in terms of what are we doing uh, biblically. As we respond to persecution, we're cementing that fellowship. You know, the scripture says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We want to go there and show them that their brothers and sisters sorrow with them in their suffering and rejoice with them in their victories, especially their eternal victories for the kingdom. And that second aspect, the evangelism aspect, is the eternal victory, the winning of lost souls, the winning of the persecutors to Christ. Very important. The Lord said, love your enemies. And our brothers and sisters overseas, they experience opportunities to love their enemies on a daily basis, and they love them best. They love their enemies best by reaching them for Christ. It's a very important principle. And then the third thing, we invest in their discipleship by providing them with the word of God. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But an example of responding to persecution, responding to persecution means giving these Nigerian boys, your brothers, a new leg after Boko Haram and Islamist group chopped off their legs in an, in an attack. It's commonplace in Nigeria for Boko Haram to come into a, a church or a Christian village to line up the villagers, to kill some of the men especially, leaving the women and children fatherless and uh, without a husband, and then with the young boys especially to amputate a limb, thinking that this is going to shame them, debilitate them. Uh, it's a shame for a man not to be able to function and work in this area, so they do that to shame them. Well, we've helped them come back to the joy in their life uh, in their walk with the Lord by providing them with a new limb and that, in that way, you can see the joy in their face that their brothers and sisters from far away have come and helped them uh, recover from this attack. Persecution response also means caring for this girl, your little sister in Kenya. Her name's Elizabeth Mawia. She was age five when her parents were killed in an attack on their church. We came in and have been supporting her. She's now being cared for by her grandparents and raised in a Christian setting there. Uh, this was an attack by Somali Islamist militants. So persecution response simply means loving 
our brothers and sisters like our own family, loving precious Elizabeth the way I love my own children, praying for her, going to bless and encourage and minister to our precious brothers and sisters. The second type of work we do advancing the kingdom of God means we work with national leaders to uh, come alongside them, find out how God's led them to advance the kingdom in their areas, finding out how we can resource that work through training, through ministry tools, uh, really through any way possible. Uh, this photo that you're looking at here is one of our regional directors. And in this photo, which was from three or four months ago when he and I were in Vietnam, we were working out a plan for the Northern Highlands in Vietnam, which is a very difficult persecuted area. That plan is currently being enacted as indigenous evangelists are reaching new villages in this uh, hostile and somewhat restricted area. Here's another example using Jonathan, our South Asia Regional Director, uh, with the nation in Bur of Burma, or Myanmar. Uh, this is him about a year ago, just about a year ago, working out a plan in which the gospel would reach an entirely unreached area. And you, I like this image because you see he and another of our workers working with the indigenous leadership. God's already called them to do something. God's given them the strategy. God's put it, placed it on their heart. We come alongside them and resource that, just enhancing it and uh, empowering them to go further. So this was step one, the plan. A few months later, this is them creating a road that didn't exist before, building a road to a completely un unreached area uh, in these hill tribes. And then the third photo, you see the fruit of that labor, which is that they're carrying uh, video and literature resources so that the gospel message penetrated an area it had literally never been to before in a very restricted and uh, even hostile area. So what an honor, what a privilege that the Lord allows us to participate with our brothers and sisters in this way. I like to say this, that it's ab absolutely true that Americans will need to be sent as missionaries to themselves do the work of church planting, evangelism, and other aspects of ministry. That's entirely critically important. But consider this other missiological strategy as well, in which we can come alongside our brothers and sisters to enhance the work that they do uh, for the kingdom. Both very valid, both very important. Um, ours is the latter. Our particular work is the latter. Uh, thirdly, our core strategies, we consider the Bible to be a critical core strategy for the work of the Voice of the Martyrs. And people might wonder, why is that? Why is the Bible so critical? Um, first of all, it's God's word. It's the gospel message. It's not a discipleship resource. It's the discipleship resource. It's pro it, it should have preeminence in all things. God's word should. So that goes without saying. But for us in particular, as Voice of the Martyrs, the Bible is something that's opposed strongly. And it's interesting to me that the enemy, uh, you know, the ultimate enemy of our faith, but also enemies, plural, in this temporal world of the faith, understand the power of the scriptures, and they do what they can to oppose it. It's a very important point. Uh, sadly, sometimes I think that the enemy understands the power of the word of God more than some Christians do, but it's extremely powerful. So the Bible is restricted and the Bible's opposed, and we come to counter that. I'll always remember reports we received when literally thousands of Bibles were burned in Orissa, which is now Odisha in India, um, with the persecution from Hindu radicals there. They understood that eradicating the word of God from their area was of primary concern. 
They burned about 8,000 Bibles in this wave of attacks. We immediately replaced them and were uh, happy and pleased to do so. I'll always remember when the leader of an underground printing press, printing New Testaments in Iran, who I had personal relationship, uh, willingly continued that work despite the fact that he knew it would put him in prison. How did he know that? Because everyone who had done a project like that, everyone who had done that kind of work, had been imprisoned and tortured between six months and a year and a half after beginning the work. Well, in this case, it turned out to be true. About a year after he began doing this, he was imprisoned and tortured. But he willingly accepted that risk because it was worth it to him to print Bibles for something like a year, a year and a half, even if he would be imprisoned and tortured to do so. And it was my great honor to be able to resource that and to uh, help him do that. But anyway, a primary goal of persecutors is to eliminate God's word. And so we've been working hard to, to counter that. In the year, just last year, uh, the year 2013, we succeeded in distributing over 1.2 million Bibles. Um, 900,000 plus of those were full Bibles in areas where it's impractical or impossible to distribute a full Bible. We did New Testaments, about 300,000. Um, so praise God for that. Also praise God for over 2 million gospel resources. Uh, one example of that are the little booklets I showed you with the girls from Pakistan. Uh, that's something that we did a lot of last year, over a, half, a million and a half of those. So praise God that his word is going forth in the most hostile, the most restricted parts of the world. Now I'd like to uh, mention this because maybe the Lord will keep this fresh in your heart and in your minds. We can have a decent estimate of the believers who live in these hostile and restricted nations. And when we do that, we can look at that picture and we can say, if you take those believers and you find out how many families that is, it's going to be possible in our lifetimes, maybe in 20 years, to give every believer in a hostile and restricted nation a Bible. This is something that's possible, not for Voice of the Martyrs, but for the body of Christ. And I pray that we'll accomplish that. Uh, so pray for that. You know, we're, we're praying, Lord, let us give a Bible, audio Bible, a print Bible, whatever format we can, to every believer in hostile and restricted nations. May it be so. Last year in the year 2013, when we add everything up, uh, everyone who's had some kind of tangible benefit from the work of the Voice of the Martyrs, this is the number we got. And we didn't include any kind of extrapolations or estimates of radio broadcasts or um, TV broadcasts or anything like that. These are things we could count that we gave something or helped someone uh, over 4 million people. So praise God. Uh, hopefully that encourages you that your prayers for us, your support for us, it's not in vain. Uh, the Lord is moving. And that brings me back to my topic, which is, what do we see when we look at the mission field? What do we see when we look at the Muslim world? How do we feel about these things? It's possible to start well and get off track in the way that we see things, in the way that we understand things. A great example scripturally is the Galatians Paul said, are you, speaking to the Galatians, so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So this is an example of them starting well, but not continuing well. So we can drift. We can drift in our focus and our understanding of things over time. Honestly, I see many American Christians doing a similar thing with regard to missions, and especially with regard to missions in the Muslim world. So this is what the Lord laid on my heart for you this morning, which is, this is a missions church. These are people who profoundly get it. 
about world missions. So I don't have to sell you on the idea of the eternal kingdom of God or advancing that kingdom at all, but rather it's stay sharp, stay focused. So let's talk about that a bit. And I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about at all about uh, wrong information or things that are untrue. Rather, I'm talking about some things that are true and other things that are true. And what I mean by that is the eternal realities must be foremost in our thinking. The things that are of eternal significance have to stay first place for us. I've seen something a lot uh, in just the last few years, and it, it perhaps is getting worse in some circles. And I like to call it the cable TV news syndrome, where people start thinking so much about what are really the small stories that they see on the television about the Muslim world. And it's really getting in the way at some point of their heart and their passion for missions. Now, you might say, well, wow, how can you characterize things like the Arab Spring revolutions and other things that we see on television every night as small stories? But I want to do exactly that for you. I want to say those are small stories. Those are not the stories that will ring in eternity. That's not what we'll be talking about in heaven. Let me give you some examples about that, of the examples of the fact that even these big events you're seeing today are not the most important stories. They're not the big thing that's going on. Many Americans seem to have the idea that what we really need for the gospel to spread, what we really need for the kingdom to advance in these fields is for freedom, religious freedom, political freedom. And then what we really need in the world is a stable economy. Well, consider this, that the communist revolution in Cuba came before it preceded what's happened in Cuba in the last 25 to 30 years, which is one of the greatest revivals in world missions history. That's something that we've been able to be a strong part of for years in Cuba. Consider also this example, the Mao in China, that sweeping changes entirely hostile to the Christianity and to the church preceded, again, one of the great revivals in world missions history in China. Also consider Iran, the Islamist revolution in which literally every American missionary and Western missionary had to leave Iran, many national leaders of the church. It was as if the church in Iran, the head was chopped off it instantly. Those events preceded the greatest move of God that's happened in missions history in any Islamic context in the last 25 or 30 years. The kingdom of God will go forth. God will establish his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and yet we lose our focus sometimes, and we think that, boy, what we really need is religious freedom. God doesn't need religious freedom. God doesn't need the Ayatollah's permission. God does not need any government's permission, including the government of the United States of America. So we must always be sure to see these things in the eternal perspective from God's viewpoint, not our own. And when we do, we become encouraged. When we start to look at the temporal things, we become discouraged. We look at the temporal situation in our own country, our own government, our own people walk away, walk away from God. The government become unfriendly to Christianity in different ways, and we become discouraged. Please do not do that. Let's stay sharp. Let's learn to think like our bold, persecuted brothers and sisters who go forth no matter what. And so here are some considerations uh, I've thought of for doing that. Back to the verse I started with. The first thing, when we focus on eternity, we see what others cannot see, 
We see what others cannot understand, and we see what others do not accept. And this is just the principle that the world, including the world around us here in the U.S., will not understand world missions. They will not understand these eternal realities. We can't expect that. Here's a second principle which really goes with the first. When we focus on eternities, we see, when we focus on eternity, we see things in a way that is foolish to the world and would indeed be foolish if Christ were not raised from the dead. As Paul says here later in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So again, this message, this viewpoint, will not be shared by those who are unsaved, unregenerate. They won't be shared by the world. We need to understand that, expect it, and move on anyway. A third consideration, this is very encouraging, and I'll talk about this even more later on. When we learn to see things God's way, when we learn to embrace the eternal, we find that we are in a special epoch, a special time in missions history, a very special time. Consider this scriptural example. Many prophets and righteous people longed to see Christ come, but did not. They pined for him. They cried out for him. Think about the intertestamental period. Think about those years between the Old Testament prophecy and when Christ actually arrived. Think of righteous people crying out, Lord, send your Redeemer. Send the Messiah to us. And they did not see him. But the Christ here we're, is referring to the disciples who did see him. He's saying, many longed to see what you see and didn't see it. Let me apply that same principle today to missions. Wonderful missionaries, people who devoted their whole heart and lives to missions, can't imagine the missions opportunities that everyone in this room shares right now. They couldn't imagine the Internet. They couldn't imagine films. They couldn't even imagine mass production of books uh, prior to a couple hundred years ago. Consider that we live in the era that is so special. Air travel, films, the Internet, so many of these things, and these are all opportunities. These are wonderful opportunities for us to make an eternal difference for the kingdom of God. We live in a day when it's possible to do the whole mission that I described for someone like me to bridge the body of different parts of the body of Christ back and forth and tie them together in true fellowship and unity. This wasn't possible in the past. So it's possible for you to participate with your brothers and sisters to advance the kingdom in entirely new ways today. And that should be a very, very encouraging thing for us. A fourth thing, when we learn to see with the eternal perspective, we set our minds and affections on the right things. We ascribe value properly. In, this is the ESV, Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And then in the King James Version, the term here, minds, is translated affections because this Greek term, phroneo, is really encompasses not just a thought in your mind, but a thought in your mind that fixates you on something and sends you after that thing. It's, it sends you to go get it. So set your mind, set your affection, set your intentionality on things that are eternal, not on things of the world. And the context of this passage is that if you'll do this, Paul's saying it'll change all these things. Go look at Colossians 3 this week. It'll change all these things about you if you'll learn to see eternity. And of course that counts for missions, which is exactly what I'm saying in terms of staying sharp and seeing the eternal. When we see things properly, we put value on the eternal things. Here's the key with that, okay? 
It's going to cost us to join our brothers and sisters on these fields. It's, it costs them to advance the kingdom on these fields. It's going to cost us to join them. We won't pay that price unless we value rightly. Unless we value the Muslim world as being something that's lost, that can be redeemed the way Christ values them. We won't pay the price unless we have the right values. Very important point. And as I said, if you were somewhere in before where you would pay that price without a thought because of your passion and love for Christ, and that's drifted even slightly, myself, day to day, has it drifted? Have I gone somewhere else? Have I started to value other things? Do we value our own nation? Do we value our nation's economy? Do we value our nation's political system? Do we value our own neighborhoods, our own safety? Any of these things can get in the way of us valuing eternity. One more thought from the scripture about focusing on eternity. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had to buy that field. So again, with values, how can you give everything you have and do so joyfully? Well, the only way you can do that, and it's just simple economics, is to value everything you gave up less as being worth less than what you've gained. And it's really an indictment against us in American Christianity sometimes. In my own life as well, I pray about this frequently. It's an indictment against us that we hold anything about ourselves as being oh so very important that I couldn't sacrifice that for the eternal worth of his glory for the eternal worth of his glory, or even to come down off the eternal worth of his glory, which really should motivate us, the eternal value of even one Muslim who came to Christ. Those four million people that we touched last year, staggers, it blows my mind. The 1.2 million Bibles absolutely boggles my mind as well. And that was just in one year with our ministry, because I really, truly believe that it would have been worth it for my whole life's work to get that bi- those Bibles into one new area, just one not the many that we do every year. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. There's nothing so valuable about any of us that we shouldn't easily trade it for his eternal glory and for the advancement of his eternal kingdom. And that's about staying sharp. So let me follow those scriptural thoughts with some practical considerations, which, again, are very, very exciting. And this will give you an update from several fields Uh, of the persecuted church ministry and the advancement of the kingdom on frontiers, missions frontiers. First of all, understand that this is a special epoch in missions history, as I said, not only in terms of the opportunities that we have, but secondly, the Muslim field is ripe for the harvest. The Muslim field right now is ripe for the harvest the way that it's never been in missions history. I hope many of you are students of missions history. The last 1,300 years of Islam, It's not been like this before. And people ask the question, well, why is that? Muslims' hearts have never been so open. Well, why is that? Well, aside from the sovereignty of God, which I think is the big answer to any question like that, we can see practically two things that are happening. Information and prosperity is weakening Islam in many of these fields. And I'm talking about the strongholds of Islam. In Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, the ground zero of Islam, if you will. We hear more and more every year increasing reports confirmed by real conversions that Islam is weakening there. Why? Because they have access to information now. 
They're on the Internet. They're hearing things. They're more widely traveled. They're exposed to more. And also because of prosperity. So I want to be clear on this point, which is this kind of secularism, the same kind of secularism that's done so much damage to American culture and to strong Christians or to weakening Christianity in America is doing the same thing in the world of Islam right now. And it leads to many people rejecting Islam. Some of those people accept Christ. But it weakens Islam. And that's a, that's a good thing. It's, because, it's made a favorable opportunity for the spread of the gospel right now. This is the story in Iran as well. Persians got some information. They got a hold of their history. They realized that Islam was forced on them by the Arabs. They realized that Persia was a great world empire when the Arabs were still in the desert with nothing, essentially. And they, they made them ask a lot of questions. And faithful Christians who were placed there by the Lord were able to answer those questions. And many of them came to Christ and are coming to Christ right now. So I was just in Egypt. This is happening in Egypt right now. And this is a great example about what I called the cable TV news syndrome. You've seen everything that's happening in Cairo recently on the news. And it's all true. It's absolutely true. But here's what else is true is that the Muslim Brotherhood's overreaching in Egypt has created the same dynamic where not nominal Muslims, traditional Muslims, you know, Muslims who are thoughtful and have questions and really want to seek God, it makes them question, what is this thing all about, this Islam? And many of them are becoming atheists. There's a wave of atheism in Egypt right now as a result of the Arab Spring revolutions. Some of those are really becoming atheists or secularists. Some of those are coming to Christ. It's a ripe field. And there are still many Westerners and other foreign missionaries in Egypt right now sharing the gospel throughout all the things that have happened. So it's nothing to deny the violence. That's all true, but there's something else that's true. The kingdom of God goes forth. Praise God. So I talked about Iran, Saudi, Egypt, Syria, the same situation. Muslims see this violence, Muslim on Muslim violence. Some of them are driven from their homes. Exact same situation I experienced in Sudan recently. Muslim on Muslim violence has displaced Muslims. It brings them to this very teachable point where these Muslim brothers of mine are beating on me. Maybe I should check something else out. It's that simple. Today is a day of favor for reaching the Muslim world. It's a day of favor. And we have the blessing of opportunities and abilities that no one else has ever had in missions history. What are we doing with it? How are we being good stewards of what we've been given with this special epic and with this special opportunities? Second point, we have to understand that we might die and we need to be willing to go anyway. It's been a trend now which is something you won't hear about from others, and I won't go into specifics by naming names because these are all uh, missionaries who are in these nations undercover, uh, creative access, if you will, people operating in restricted areas on different platforms who have died, who have been killed for their faith or at least as a result of them going into these fields. That's happening, okay? That's just a reality. But again, we have to remember that it's worth it. We have to remember that it's worth it. I like to say it this way. I, I see that there's some young people here, not so many, but when I speak to youth groups, I always strongly emphasize this. Uh, I say to youth, you know, your parents might not tell you this, and they may feel funny or be upset that I told this to you, but I'm fine with that. I'm okay with it. And I'm, what I'm referring to is the idea that it's absolutely worth you as a young person, 
as an old person, whoever, it counts for everybody. It's absolutely worth it if you went to a Muslim field, reached out with the gospel, and you died for it. Totally worth it. It's worth it for my own children. Um, This is the way we have to talk to our young people, church. This is the way we need to talk to our young people. It's worth it. He's worth it. That's why it's worth it. Now, I want to... This point goes with the next point, though. Understand that we might die. We may have to die for this work to continue. But the Muslim fields are not a bloodbath for foreign missionaries. It's just not true. That's not the case. Americans and Europeans and others are dying on these fields, and it's, and it's dangerous. However, these fields are not a bloodbath for foreigners. Um, it's, violence is real, and those threats are real. But violence and threats are real here, too. There are many of these Muslim fields that are no more risky than North Tulsa is. There are many of these fields that are no more risky than where I live in Owasso is. It's just not that way. So people die here, people die there. We've got to get over this, again, what I'm referring to as the cable TV news syndrome, where we think that that picture we saw on the news last night, which was them pointing that camera at the worst thing that happened in Egypt in the last six months, is the way Egypt really is. It's not. We have to get over that. How do you get over that? Go. Go on a short-term outreach. Check it out. Learn it for yourselves. Very important. Again, this is the way we need to be talking to our youth. You, you can do this. It's possible. You can go. Go check it out. All right, two more things. And th- this is really important. Okay, point number four. Understand that Muslims are reachable. They're reachable, especially in this time of their openness. And... We don't need to change the gospel to reach them. We absolutely don't need to change the gospel to reach them. Um, Beware of people who come around and are just so sure that we've got to change the gospel to reach Muslims. Because the great moves of God in Muslim areas that we witness firsthand, because we tie into all these indigenous networks, these great revivals I've mentioned, as in Iran, these aren't watered-down versions of the gospel. These are Muslims who understood that they can't say the Shahada and read the Quran and follow Christ. Okay, the divinity of Christ is what's at stake in this discussion. They understand that what they were taught about Jesus isn't true, and they convert to the real Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the divine uh, member of the Trinity. And yes, the gospel is a stumbling block for them, but the gospel is a stumbling block here too. Go downtown and try and talk to an atheist, to a non-Christian, even a nominal Christian about it. The gospel is always a stumbling block. It's foolishness. Remember the scripture we talked about? It's foolishness to the world. So understand that Muslims are reachable, and we don't have to compromise a thing to reach them. We have to use a lot of wisdom. And that wisdom comes from love. And that love leads you to go there and to share with them. But I'm I'm not talking about Muslims coming to Christ because we tricked them into being a certain kind of Muslim. They're coming to Christ. They really are. And they're paying the price for it. Uh, in all these fields. So here's where I want to end with this. Really the challenge is, because of everything that I've said, the challenge is to make good on the opportunity that we have. The challenge is to make good on what the Lord's placed into our hands. And I, I could get emotional about this point, which is, you know, We don't really know what's been placed in our hands in this sense. Think about this. I don't know if I've got six more months. I don't know if I've got 20 more years. I pray I do. Uh, I pray I've got 50 more years to do this. Uh, 
we don't know what we've got in time. We know we've gotten opportunities, and you've got to understand that and own it, like I, I said. But we don't know how much we've still got to offer the Lord. And therefore, we trust, with, we trust Him. We walk with Him. On what does the Scripture say? It says, on a daily basis, right? We pick up our cross every day, and we walk with Him. That's what He asked. He asked us for obedience. He wanted, he wanted a relationship. But he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey. It's done. Lord, let it be done for me. That's done. I, you, you count the cost and you say, I love him and he's worth it. And I'm gone. I'm doing what I can do. I'm already gone. It's just a question of, Lord, what door will you open? What will you let me do? What will I have the honor and privilege of doing for Christ this year? I don't know. He's got to open the doors. We needed a door open in Iraq, and Joel Vassanen helped us open that door, for example. We, we just don't know. And, and none of you in this room know what you'll be able to do, but he asks us to wake up every morning, pick up our cross out of love, and it's a joy to do this. It's not a burden to do this. He's worth it. He's wonderful. What else do we want to do? And why? So this is the challenge. Do what you can with what you have where you are right now. And he'll work through that. I remember a time when my wife and I, when our family, what we had to offer was service in a local church as a part, in a part-time role. There was a time when we had the opportunity to be tent-making missionaries in the Middle East. And it was wonderful. Praise God, we cried out for that opportunity and, and took it when it came. And then he opened up these opportunities with the voice of the martyrs. But it was all about doing what we could with what we had where we are. I'm, I'm friends with missionaries who are fluent Arabic speakers who are here in the U.S. on the Internet all day long chatting, or all night long, the time zone changes, all night long chatting with Saudis from here. They were in the field, then they came home because it was better and easier to connect with Saudis through the anonymity of the Internet. Because you can't really sit and talk with them in country very easily. They're very productive. Professionals can live on the field. And you support missionaries like this. If you have a skill or something, sometimes those skills are welcome in those countries. And that's a way to hit the field. Women are very powerful workers in Muslim fields. My wife, including our, at that time our very young children, were fantastic missionaries to Muslims because they would make those connections as women in those cultures spent all kinds of time together. And the people we got to share with often started with a relationship my wife made. Women are very powerful workers in Muslim fields. The go- another thing, the gospel message just isn't that hard to distribute anymore. In film format, and book format, things of that nature, you have to be trained and do this wisely in the right way, but it's just not, not that hard. I mean, think of, can you live and work in a mission field, in a Muslim field, and distribute the Jesus film in wise ways? Well, yes, you can do that. You don't have to be anything but willing and obedient to do such a thing. So there are things that we can do, and we can all pray, and nothing else will happen if we don't pray. But for, let's, more than anything, I just want to challenge you with this, which is fix your eyes on what's eternal. 
especially this week in your missions conference. That's why the Lord laid this on my heart, which was, I felt like he was saying, this is the way to start a missions conference. Get everybody thinking about the eternal perspective. When you hear from the panels, when you hear Brother Ray and the other, others on the Muslim World panel talk, you'll, you'll get more out of it if you can focus your eyes on what counts most right now. All of a sudden, things will open up. All of a sudden, God will show you what you can do tomorrow, the next day, how you can prepare for the future. And also, as you go forward, as you think, pray, and talk about the Muslim world, don't fix your eyes on what's happening in the, in the temporary, in the temporal world. Don't get so hung up on these events and these things to where you lose sight of there are girls who are reachable and can be reached by you, perhaps, or by you partnering with others. It's all possible. It's all happening every day. So three recent stories from the news. Recent story number one, Osama bin Laden was killed by American forces in Pakistan. Recent story number two, poor Pakistan-U.S. relations caused concerns concerning Pakistan's nuclear arsenal. And now you have recent story number three, Muslims found salvation in Jesus Christ in Pakistan. Which, which of those three stories is going to ring in eternity and which two are going to be forgotten? And then what part will you play? Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for such a wonderful church, Lord, such a wonderful body of missions-minded and just spiritual people, Lord. I, I just sense that spiritual maturity is spoken here, Father, in this house. And Lord, thank you for their hearts. And Father, I hope that in any way you've refocused us and sharpened our focus and our vision, got us passionate again, Lord, for what you can do and how you can overcome the world. Lord, I thank you that you're not hindered at all by Boko Haram. Father, you're not hindered at all by Al-Qaeda. You're not, Father. Oh, thank you. You've overcome the world. And with you, Father, we overcome the world, and we live with you for eternity, whether we spend another day or another 20 years on this earth, Father. We have eternity with you. It's done. Thank you that it's done in us, Father. So, Lord, send us forth, Lord. Send us forth with joy. Send us forth understanding that it's an honor to serve you because you're infinitely worth it. What could be more valuable, Father, than, than you? Nothing is. It all fades away. It pales, Lord, to nothingness in comparison. So thank you, Lord. Give us that joy and help us understand that it's an honor, Lord, and help us look for the next step, the next open door, the next chance that we've got to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.